You're listening to the Grace Church Podcast, a weekly podcast dedicated to bringing you biblical guidance to life's most important issues. We want to thank you for joining us for this week's message. We pray you find strength and encouragement as we learn from God's truth together. For more information, go to visitgracechurch.com. What is up, Grace Church? It is good to see you guys. Uh, whether you're watching us from the uh, venue or cafe or maybe you're watching online, uh, we are glad that you are worshiping with us. My name is Kent Lyles. I am the campus pastor for our Olathe campus. And uh, I want to begin our time together by asking you a question. What do these two men that you're going to see on the screen here in just a moment have in common? Uh, besides the fact that they both happen to be on the screen at Grace Church and their hands on their face and it's a black and white photo. Besides those things, what do these two men have in common? I'm kidding. I'm going to tell you. Uh, the answer is they both had a great impact on the world through the same thing. They both had an impact on the world through the same thing. On the left side here is Jimmy Walker. Now, Jimmy was an actor, a comedian who played J.J., on the very popular sitcom in the 1970s called Good Times. And uh, he was famous not only as an actor, as a comedian, but for coining a word phrase on the show that actually just swept the nation, took the nation by storm. And it was a word that he would never have been able to use had it not been for the man on the other side. That man is Alfred Nobel. Now, Alfred Nobel was a chemist. He was an inventor in the 1800s. And after the tragic death of his younger brother in an explosion in his father's arms factory, he went on to uh, develop a form of explosive uh, that was safer and that literally revolutionized the world, even to this day. And Alfred Nobel's invention was a mixture of nitroglycerin and an absorbent substance producing what he named dynamite. Now, J.J., on good times took that same word, dynamite, he misspelled it, he added a clap and a little 70s swag, and he called himself Kid Dynamite. There he is, yeah. Now, those of you laughing, you hear the laughing because that was ridiculous, what I just did, or you're laughing because you remember that, which dates you, I'm sorry, but as as ridiculous as that either was or may seem, um... J.J., his image, that word, that phrase, you could see that on all types of merchandise in the 1970s. That guy's face was on coffee mugs and calendars and T-shirts. He actually had a Kid Dynamite action figure, which I have no idea what you do with that, but he had one. That was how J.J. impacted the world with dynamite. Now, on the other hand, Alfred Nobel impacted the world with dynamite by setting aside the bulk of his estate to establish the Nobel Prizes. Now, the Nobel Prizes honor men and women for outstanding achievements in physics, in chemistry, in medicine, literature, economics, politics, and for working toward, toward world peace, which uh, that's what we call the prize now. We call it the Nobel Peace Prize. Now, Alfred came up with the name dynamite after asking one of his Greek-speaking friends, uh, what is a Greek word that would best express the explosive nature of my new invention? And his friend gave him this word. It was the word dunamis. Dunamis, D-U-N-A-M-I-S. 
Now, that, he, that was a word that he actually converted into Swedish. It's a word that later got translated into English, which is our word dynamite. Now, at this point, you might be wondering, okay, this is all great information, but what does Alfred and JJ have to do with wrapping up our Empowered series this week? Which is a great question. I'm going to answer that question for you. That Greek word, dunamis, is a word that you can find in your Bible 120 times in the New Testament. But it's not used to describe uh, just uh, human charisma or uh, man-made explosives, but something more powerful than that. Dunamis means supernatural force or strength, specifically miraculous power, the ability to make the impossible possible. In the Bible, we see it translated into English words or phrases such as wonderful or mighty works, miracle, ability, abundance, strength, violence, force, virtue. Uh, But for the most part, you see it translated into the word power. Power. Dunamis is where we derive the title for this series, Empowered. And that's our desire. Our desire is that we live lives that are supernaturally empowered by God, greater than Alfred Nobel's revolutionary invention or Jimmy Walker's power to shape pop culture. Dunamis is a supernatural force that comes directly from God, meant to transform our lives and transcend our lives. That's the power of God, which leads us to our key truth that we've been expressing to you each week, and that's this, that presence equals power. Presence equals power. That's in your message notes, the first blanks on your page. Presence equals power. That means learning to be present with God equates to his supernatural power working through our lives. So with that, let's have a word of prayer. We'll jump in and we we'll see if we can discover a little more about God's presence and his power. Father, we are thankful for your grace, and we're thankful for your love, and we're we're thankful for your power. And God, we're thankful that you have given us access to it. And even in this moment, in this meeting, you want to be present, and you want to express your power in our lives. God, you want to transform us in this meeting right now. And God, you want to do so in such a way that it transcends our lives. As we leave here, you want to use your power in this world. So, God, I pray that you would have your will done here in this moment. We ask you to do that now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, Tim began this series by showing us the first chapter in this little Old Testament book of Haggai. And we're going to be back in the book of Haggai today. So if you need a Bible or a pen or message notes, if you just lift up your hand, someone will bring one of those right to you. Uh, if you are watching online, you can actually download the message notes at visitgracechurch.com slash live or visitgracechurch.com slash Olathe. Thank you very much. Yeah. Yeah, I got some representing. I like it. All right. So Haggai, he was a prophet sent by God with a message for God's people. And in Haggai chapter 1, Tim Uh, did a great job a few weeks ago of laying out Haggai chapter 1 for us. And he gave us Haggai's message in chapter 1, which can really be summed up in two verses there. Uh, Haggai 1, verses 7 and 8. Verse number 7 says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. Go up to the mountains and bring wood and build the temple, that I may take pleasure in it and be glorified, says the Lord. Haggai's message for the people was a very simple one. 
(laughs) Three words. Build the temple. Build the temple. Build worship. Make worship. Because the temple was a place where worship occurred. The temple was a place where God would literally meet with his people, where he would engage with them, where he would empower them. And you know, Haggai shows up to them at a time where they had been, they had just returned out of captivity. The people had been held captive by enemy captors. They returned to their homeland. They were given the directive, build this temple. That's your first priority. Build this place of worship so I can start meeting with you. Well, they started to, they laid the foundation, they built an altar, and then they just stopped and they just kind of left it. And they went off to build their own houses and do their own things. And for 14 years, the, the house of God just sat there. And so finally, God sends Haggai with this message, build the temple, get worship going. You're missing it. You're missing my power. You're missing engaging with me so I can give you what you need to be everything that I've called you to be. That same message that Haggai gave to those people back then is the same message we've been giving for the last four weeks, and that is build worship into your life. Make sure that the priority of worship is being built in, that that's first Build the temple so that God can meet with you, so that you can be empowered, so you can fulfill the purpose that he created you for. That's the message. And we've been using the temple as a template for spiritual practices that help us engage with God in worship and in relationship. Now, the temple had three distinct areas, and we've been covering those over the last couple weeks. Uh, They had specific furnishings in each area for specific types of worship. Now, the spaces and the furnishings represent for us various spiritual practices that we can engage in today. And thus far, we have looked at the outer court, we've looked at the holy place, and today we're going to find ourselves in the most holy place, or what the author of Hebrews called the holy of holies. This chart we've put in your message notes for you, and that kind of lays out what the temple looked like in sort of a graph form there. Uh, Now, this is a place, this this most holy place, where the presence of God would literally appear. So let's take a quick look at this place of presence, and that's going to be the first uh, point on your message notes, the place of presence. The most holy place was sealed off from all others by a curtain called the veil. And uh, here's an image of the veil. Uh, if you're looking from the holy place into the most holy place, that would be the veil. And if it were open, you'd see beyond it. But the veil was a curtain made of twine or fine twined linen. It was scarlet. It was purple. It was embroidered with images of cherubim, which are angelic beings that surround the throne of God. And beyond the veil, there was a single piece of furniture in this area called the Ark of the Covenant. Now, the ark was a wooden box that was overlaid with gold inside and out. Uh, It had rings on the side of it so the priests could slide golden poles through it. They could carry it on their shoulders when they needed to transport it. Uh, It had a lid on top of it called the mercy seat. And the mercy seat had two cherubs made of gold that were facing each other, and their wings were outstretched over the top of the mercy seat. Inside the ark were the two tablets of the law of Moses. Now, in the Old Testament, the Ark of the the Covenant represented the presence and power of God on this earth. The uh, Israelite priests would actually carry the Ark before them when they would go into battle. And they would win supernatural victory simply because they were carrying the Ark of the Covenant. If you remember the story of uh, Jericho, 
Uh, for those of you who grew up in Sunday school, you heard this story a lot. But the story of Jericho, where the Israelites marched around the city of Jericho for six days. They marched around the city. And on the seventh day, the walls of the city, city literally just fell down. And they went in and they, they claimed a supernatural victory over the city of Jericho. Well, in that procession during those six days, what was leading that march were the priests holding the Ark of the Covenant. The presence and power of God on this earth. In fact, when enemies would invade Israel, that would be their first objective. Let's get the ark, this, this, this weapon of mass destruction. Let's get that thing. If we get the ark, we'll be invincible. Now, that's instructive for us because the Bible says that we have an enemy. Now, I'm not talking about enemies we may have in this earth, physical enemies, but the Bible says in Ephesians 6 that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against spiritual wickedness in heavenly places. We have an enemy called the devil, and he is against us. He's working hard against us. How do we resist such a power as that? You resist it by the presence and power of God. Kent, why do I need to, why do I need to care about the presence of God? Well, do you want to resist your enemy? Because the place you do that is in the presence of the Lord. That's how we resist the enemy's attacks against us. In the most holy place, a tangible presence of God would appear at various times to different people. However, there was a scheduled appearance once a year. On the Day of Atonement, the high priest would go beyond the veil with an offering of blood from an innocent lamb to atone for the sins of the people. And what would happen is, uh, if, this, if this represented the outer court, and this were the holy place, and this were the most holy place, I, I think I just pulled a groin right there. Uh, no, okay. If, so if this were the outer court, they would bring a lamb as a sacrifice to atone for the sins of the people. They would kill that lamb in the outer court. The priest, the high priest, would take a bull get blood in that bowl. They would go ahead and offer up the lamb on the, on the burnt offering. And then the high priest would go into the holy place with that bowl of blood. And then he would go past the holy place, go past the curtain beyond the veil and into the most holy place. And the presence of God would literally be in that place. And he would sprinkle blood on the mercy seat to atone for the sins of the people. Only the high priest could go in there once a year. And only by blood, the only access that was given into the most holy place where the presence of the Lord was, was by blood of an innocent lamb. The most holy place was designed to represent the very place where God resides in heaven, his throne room. But it also represents the place of fellowship and relationship that God is calling every one of us into. God is in his presence, and he's calling us to his presence. But the only way we can get into that presence is by blood. To access God, you have to have the blood of the lamb. That's the only way to get there. Now, that's instructive because we see an interesting fact in the Gospels. When Jesus was crucified, the Gospel accounts tell us that at the moment of his death, there was an earthquake and the ground shook and the temple shook. And at that moment, the veil in the temple tore from top to bottom. Now, that's instructive. This was a sign that access to the presence of God was available to all because the final sacrifice for sin had been made. Because of Jesus, our high priest gave himself as a sacrifice. His blood paid the price for anyone who wants to get an access to the presence of the Lord. Not just the high priest once a year. Now, any of us who want access to God can get it, but it has to be by the blood. It has to be by the blood. Listen, if you're here today and you don't have a relationship with God, God has made a way for you to know him. And it's by the blood of his son, Jesus Christ, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 
And all you have to do is let his sacrifice become your sacrifice. Just like they did in that outer court, an innocent lamb paid the price for the sins of the people. Jesus Christ, our innocent lamb, paid the price for our sins. And all you need to do is put your faith and trust in him. And if you do that, the blood will be applied to you and you have access into the most holy. You will be given the spirit of God by which you can literally go into the presence of God. This truth is captured for us in Hebrews chapter 10, verse number 19 through 22. Hebrews 10, 19 says, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us, through the veil, that is, his flesh. See, that veil that tore represented the body of Christ that tore, his flesh tore so that we could actually have access to God. And having a high priest, Jesus, over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart, full of assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. The writer of Hebrews says this also in Hebrews chapter 4. He says, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace and help in a time of need. Let us come boldly before the throne of grace. Well, how do we do that? We do that by the blood. We do that by the spirit. If we have those things, if we receive Christ Jesus, we can come boldly to get what we need from God. Come boldly before the throne of grace that you may obtain mercy and find grace and help in a time of need. I don't know about you, but I'm a needy person. I have lots of needs. I got things that I need. And the problem is, so many times I'm trying to work my needs out out here in the outer court. I'm trying to figure out life. I'm trying to make things better. I'm trying to work it out myself. All the while, what I really need is in there. We're given instruction. Hey, come boldly into the throne of grace. I'll give you what you need. Why am I spending so much time and toil and stress and worry out here when everything I need is right there and it's free? It's paid for. God already paid for it in his own blood. You can just go get it. Just go get what you need. Grace, mercy, love, joy, peace, acceptance. It's right there. Why are we wasting so much time out here when everything we need is in the presence of the Lord? Practically, how we get to that place is by exercising the spiritual practices that we've been giving you over the last several weeks. They engage you intentionally with the Lord. They put you face-to-face with God so you can get what you need. We want to help you get what you need. And that's where it's at. Becoming present with God and entering into that place is the result of a passionate pursuit. We, uh, we are to seek the Lord with all of our hearts if we're going to find him. And we're given instruction to do that over and over in Scripture. And that leads us to our next point, which is this, the priority of presence. We've seen the place of presence. I want to look at the priority of presence. We are instructed again and again, go seek the Lord, seek the Lord, seek the Lord. And it doesn't mean he's lost. Like, where'd God go? We need to look for him. Where's Waldo? No, it's not like that. We're not playing hide and seek. Seeking means to intentionally engage, 
right? So if you have a good relationship with someone, if you have a good uh, intimate relationship with someone, I'm not saying intimate in the physical sense, but intimate in the emotional sense, you've got a really good friend, you have a spouse, your kids, whatever, if that relationship is good, it's because you have sought them. You have sought to have good relationship with them. You have engaged with them relationally. You don't just exist together in the same space. You actually sought relationship with them, right? You've engaged in it. That's what we're told to do with the Lord. Seek to engage with him. Now, a good example of of being told to do this is in 1 Chronicles 16, verses 9 through 11. It says, sing to him, sing songs to him, talk of all his wondrous works, glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those rejoice who seek the Lord. You want a happy heart? You want some joy? Seek the Lord. You need joy. Our soul requires it. You know where it's at? The presence of the Lord. Go get some. Feeling a little down, a little glum, a little depressed? Go get some joy. It's in the presence of the Lord. Let the hearts of those rejoice who seek the Lord. Seek the Lord and his strength, his power. Seek his face, his presence forevermore. The author of the book of Hebrews puts it like this. God is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. God rewards those who diligently seek him. That word diligent, by the way, it means to crave or to require, to have to have it. Like an addict needs the thing that they're addicted to. That's what the word diligent means, to crave it like that. God's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Now, now what's, what's the reward? Is it cash prizes, giveaways? Is there a lotto? I mean, what is, is, it a, is it a cruise to Alaska? What's the reward? The reward is him. He's the reward. God rewards you with himself. Seek him out, find him, and you'll be rewarded with him. Everything he is, his grace, his power, his love, his joy, his mercy, everything he is, it's yours. Here's your reward. Here's your prize. Go get it. He's waiting to give it to us. That's what Paul said in the book of Philippians. He said, you know what? I want to leave this stuff behind, and I want to press on toward the high mark, toward the prize of my calling. You know what his prize was? Christ Jesus. That's my prize. I want to go get my prize. It's Jesus. That's the win. Now, we see examples of people who sought the Lord like this in Scripture. Particularly, there's a a story in the Gospels. Remember the woman uh, who had the issue of blood? She had a disease, a blood disease, and she had it for 12 years, and she'd been going to doctor after doctor after doctor. She couldn't find any healing for it, and finally, she's just exasperated, but she hears that Jesus is in her town. And she's like, wait, Jesus, that's that, that's that dude that heals people, right? He makes people whole. I got to get to see this guy. And so she goes, to, she finds out where she's at. She goes to where he's at. And when she gets there, she must have been pretty bummed out because there were tons of people around him. There was an entire crowd. And she couldn't even see him. And she's trying to get there. And she's like, oh, man, I've got to get to this guy. So she fights her way through the crowd. She diligently seeks the Lord in her desperation. She finally, I don't know if she wound up on the ground or what happened, but she finally reaches through and touches the hem of his garment. And when she did that, Jesus stopped. He said, who touched me? Now the disciples are like, well, um, everyone? Everyone touched you? We're in a crowd. I don't know. Uh, And he goes, no, 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 someone touched me because you know what? I felt power go out from me. Now, someone who touched him in diligent pursuit received a prize. A lot of people were touching him, but only one got a reward. Somebody sought him out. 
And in that moment, there was a transfer of power. Pay attention to that. A diligent, desperate pursuit of Jesus resulted in a transfer of power. My power's gone out. There's transfer and transformation. It changed that woman's life. In that moment, she was healed. She was well. Kent, why should I get in the presence of God? Do you want healing? You want to be restored? You want to be made whole? Go there. That's the place where you get made whole, where you connect with Jesus, and he changes you. That changed the trajectory of her life. She was different. My goal when I wake up, from the time I wake up in the morning to the time I leave my house, is to get to that place. That is my priority. That is my one objective. I've got to get to the presence of God. That's the place I have to go. Before I leave my house, I've got to make sure that I've engaged with God so I'm empowered by God. So when I leave my house, I leave my house in his strength, in his glory, with his grace, with his love, so that when I face other people, they're not seeing me. They're seeing him. I'm blessing people. I'm encouraging people. I'm loving people. I'm facing the enemy in the power of the Almighty, not in mine. That's how it's supposed to work. And I don't want to leave my house until I've engaged with the Lord. It's priority. And I put this line in your notes. The presence and power of God will not be the reality of our life until you make it the priority of your life. The presence and power of God will not be the reality of your life until you make it the priority of your life. If you're here and you're wondering, why don't I ever experience the power of God? How come I don't ever, you know, these things that you're talking about, Ken, I mean, that's not the reality of my life because it's not the priority of your life. Jesus promised, if you seek me, you'll find me. I'm not hiding. (laughs) If you seek me, you'll find me. Knock. The door will be open. That's a promise. So either he lied, which is impossible, or we're not seeking and knocking. (laughs) But if you seek, you'll find. And when you find, there's power there. There's power. That should be our daily goal. That's why we're sharing these spiritual practices with you. Spiritual practices are all about seeking the Lord. They're an intentional way to seek. That's why we're putting them in your hands. We want those tools in your hands to help you seek the Lord so you can get what you need. Which leads us to our next point, the practice of presence. Now, we've given this chart to you every week. We put it in your notes again, uh, a chart of spiritual practices. And each week, it's looked a little different. There's same thing this week. It looks a little different. These practices that you find in the chart reflect what goes on in the most holy place. And some of those personal practices that we see, like silence, reflection, delighting, uh, God and self-awareness, that happens when you're in the presence of God. That's, those are the things. I think about the word delight. That's a, that's a good word. I love that word, delight. King David in the Psalms, he, he wrote that word a lot about his engagement with the Lord. I delight in you. I delight in you. When I think about the word delight, I don't know about you, what, whatever pops in your head when you think about delight, I think about a big piece of pumpkin pie smothered in Cool Whip. Why do we only do that during the holidays? That should be like a year-round event. Or maybe, it, maybe it's delightful because it only is during the holidays. I don't know. But that's delightful. But even more delightful than a piece of pumpkin pie with smothering Cool Whip is my time with the Lord, just delighting in who he is and delighting in the fact that he's delighting in me. He delights in the fact that I'm with him. Now, you'll notice a bit of a shift in your chart on the practices, particularly in the engagement, the engagement practices, 
The engagement practices are a little more outward focused. They are ways to engage with God as we engage with others. So it's not just what we do with the Lord, but it's what the Lord does with us, right, as we engage with him, which leads us to our last point. See, that point was really quick. You thought it was going to be long, didn't you? But no, we're to, the, we're to the end. The power of presence. The power of presence. That brings us full circle right back to where we started, that presence equals power. But let me just say, that power is just not for you. It is for you. Don't get me wrong, but it's not just for you. It's meant to be through you. Power equals presence for you and through you. Being present with God is not the end. It's only the beginning. That's where it starts. That's where you hear the, the, that's the starting blocks and the gun to go. That's where we begin. You begin here so you can go back out there. You get in here so you can go back out there. What you experience here, you want to share out there. If you are regularly experiencing the glory of God's riches in the most holy place, will you not want to share that with someone else? I want people to know that. I want people to experience pumpkin pie with Cool Whip smothered up. I want people to experience the glory of Almighty God and what you get there. I want to tell people who don't know Jesus, look, man, let me tell you what you're missing. Let me, let me tell you about my Jesus who loves you. Let me share this, the gospel story of how my Jesus died for you so you can have access to this wonderful place, to the presence of God. I want to encourage people. I want to inspire people. I want to be a help. I want to be a leader leading people into this place. And not because I'm told to do so. That is the supernatural response to a supernatural engagement. It just happens. That's what we have to do. And you know what? That's the second part of Haggai's message. Haggai chapter 1, he said build the temple. But in Haggai chapter 2, he finishes the message. Look, in Haggai chapter 2, starting in verse number 3, he says this. Who is left among you who saw this temple in its former glory? Before it was destroyed, before the enemies came and wrecked it, remember what it used to look like? And then he says, how do you see it now? In comparison with it, is it not in your eyes as nothing? And can I just say to some of you right now who you're thinking, man, it's been a while. It's been a minute since I've experienced the glory of God like, like Ken's talking about right now. But I do remember a time when my temple was full with the glory of God. I do remember a time of delighting in the Lord. I do remember a time like that. But right now, it's a little dry. It's a little desolate. Can I just tell you to be encouraged? Because it can be that way again. Look what he says. He says, yet now be strong, Zerubbabel. Be strong, Joshua. Be strong, all you people, says the Lord, and work. For I am with you. What's the work? Well, the work is build the temple. Get busy. Build worship in your lives. Go to work doing the work of worship. And then let me do the rest. Get this going. Go to work. And I will be with you, says the Lord of hosts, according to the word that I coveted with you when you came out of the land of Egypt, so my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. For thus says the Lord of hosts, once more, it is a little while, I will shake heaven and earth, the sea and dry land. I'm going to shake the earth and I will shake all nations and they shall come to the desire of all nations. You know what he's saying? 
You go to work, you get worship going in your life, and guess what? I'm going to show up. And when I show up, it's going to be powerful, and it's going to be glorious. And what's going to happen is I am going to shake the earth. I will be the desire of all the nations. The other nations are going to look at you, and they're going to say, man, I want that. That is awesome. They've got the power of God, the glory of God. They're fruitful. They're flourishing. It's amazing. They've got peace. I want that. Is that what our temple looks like? When we venture off into the world and we take the temple into life, are we taking the glory of God in such a way that we become the desire of the nations? Are people looking at us and saying, whoa, what is that? It's glorious. It's the Lord. I'm going to become the desire of all nations. He says in verse number nine, the glory of this latter temple will be greater than the former. Listen, if you're bummed out because your former glory has faded away, guess what? The latter can be greater than the former. Be strong. Go to work. Get the temple built. Grace Church, this is what we have to do. If we're going to shake the earth, if we're going to become the desire of all nations, we need to go to work and build the temple of worship into our lives. That's where the power is. Jimmy Walker, Alfred Nobel, both impacted the world with dynamite. We have a far greater power inside of us. Individually, as followers of Jesus, we have the actual dunamis, the supernatural, miraculous ability to shake the world living inside of us. The same power that resurrected Jesus from the dead lives in you if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. And the fuse to that dynamite is lit in the very presence of God. But as a collective, as a church... As a gathering of Jesus' followers, that power is exponential. One stick of dynamite is powerful, but a bundle of dynamite, well, that's devastating. Let's be devastating. Let's choose it. Let's choose to be a group of people who make their way into the most holy place. Let's choose to do it as individuals. Let's choose to do it together. When we come here, let's expect it. Let's come in here with the expectation. I'm not going to church. I'm going with a bunch of other Jesus followers into the most holy place of the living God. And we're going to get changed in that place. And we're going to to come out of that place with power. And we're going to be devastating. Let's be devastating. And let the Lord shake the earth. Would you pray with me? Father, we love you. And God, you are awesome. You are worthy of all praise and honor and glory. And God, I just tell you that I'm so grateful for the access into your most holy place because of what your son did on the cross. And I'm so grateful for the power that I can find in you. And I'm so grateful, Lord, that you willingly want to give it away. So I pray, God, in this moment that we would receive it and delight in it, be transformed by it, and go shake the earth with it. We ask you, Lord, to do this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So each week of this series, we have done, we practiced a spiritual practice together. And this week's going to be no different. We're going to practice some practices to finish up our time together. We're going to practice uh, an imagination practice. We're going to practice some corporate praise and some corporate prayer. And before I explain the imagination practice, let me just, and and by the way, that practice is, uh, and a few more on the back side of your notes if you want to check it out, but it's called Holy Imagination. But listen, we're going to, we're going to finish after that in praise together. And as we did last week, we're just going to open up the front end of this, this room. 
and we're going to open it up for anyone who needs to come at any time during the praise session. If you feel like I need to come and get prayer, there's going to be some people down here wanting to pray with you, and they're here ready to pray with you. And if you need prayer, just come get some. Or maybe you just need to come and kneel down at the front and just be with the Lord. Or just sit down in one of these chairs and just be with the Lord. Can I just say this? I know what you're saying. Look, I can praise the Lord right where I'm at. I can pray right where I'm at. I don't have to get up anywhere. And you know what? You're absolutely right. You don't. You're absolutely right. Can the power of God reach you there as well as here? Of course. But sometimes we need to make a physical move that represents the spiritual reality going on inside of us. I mean, there are times where I literally have to get on my knees because that's the spiritual reality happening inside my heart. There are times where I have to physically raise my hands to the Lord and surrender and worship in awe because that's the spiritual reality that's going on. And God is nudging me in that way, and I just have to do it. And you may be here, and as we're singing, as we're praising the Lord, you may get a nudge from God that says, you know what, I need you to make a physical move toward me. It's been a while. You've been out there. I need you in here. And I need you to actually make a move physically. Move from where you're at and come down and meet with me. If that's what you need to do, if the Lord is nudging you that way, you do that. People will gladly step aside so you can get out and get down here. Now we're going to begin our time with this exercise of holy imagination. And holy imagination is basically this. It's taking a passage of scripture and putting yourself in it experiencing it as one of the characters would experience it. Like the story with the woman with the issue of blood. Have you ever read that story from her perspective? Actually putting yourself there. What did she hear? What were the smells that she was smelling? What, was it, what did she see? How must she have felt before and after? What was she feeling? When she got to look in Jesus' eyes, what, man, what must have flooded her heart in that moment? To actually put yourself there and imagine that, that gives you a whole different perspective on Scripture, and it gives you a whole different type of engagement with God. So we're going to do that together right now. We're gonna, I'm going to read you some excerpts out of the book of Revelation, chapter 4, of a man who literally went into the most holy place, the very presence of God, his throne room, and he described it for us in the book of Revelation. But I don't want you to just listen to the explanation. I want you to put yourself there like you're the Apostle John, and you're experiencing this as he's experiencing this. What did he see? What did he hear? How must have it felt to be in that moment? Can I just say this? Would our prayers look different if we were actually in the presence of Almighty God? Would you pray differently? Would your praise be different if you were standing in the presence of Almighty God? Would it maybe be a little more passionate? A little more engaged? you close your eyes as I read the text please put yourself in this place after this I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven and I heard a voice speaking to me like a trumpet which said come up here and I will show you what must take place after this and at once I was in the spirit and behold a throne stood in heaven and one seated on the throne And he who sat there had an appearance of jasper and sardis stone. And around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. And around the throne were 24 thrones. And seated on those thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. 
and from the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings of thunder and voices. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, full of eyes all around and within. And day and night, they never cease to say, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. And they cast their crowns before the throne saying, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory, honor, and power. For you created all things and by your will they exist and were created. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you have questions or would like to contact us for prayer, please email us at info at visitgracechurch.com. For more information about our ministries, location, and service times, go to visitgracechurch.com.